All right, lesson three is entitled God Calls Moses, and we're just going to be focusing on chapters three and four. Trust me, there's a lot to talk about with just two chapters. But before we do, before we go into verse one of chapter three, I want to uh, build a bridge for you again back to Genesis. We talked a lot about this in the last lesson how Exodus is a continuation of the story of Genesis and for so many different reasons. Well, I want to give to you now a a, a stronger bridge. I think this is a a beautiful thing. I really love this connection uh, between Exodus and Genesis. So uh, if you go back to Genesis, if you studied with me and scripturetradition.com here on my Genesis course or pick this up elsewhere, you're going to know that Genesis 1 and 2, the story of creation, uh, they have different words for God being used. In chapter 1, the word for God is Elohim. Elohim is the generic word for God. It kind of displays uh, and demonstrates his uh, his power. He's omnipotent. He's transcendental. He's majestic, right? He is the God who creates by his effortless word. He speaks and things come into being, right? He is God all-powerful, right? That's chapter 1. And then in chapter 2 of Genesis, the word for God is Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. This, this word Yahweh is the covenantal name for God. He's personal. He's intimate. He's imminent. He's right there with Adam and Eve. He takes care of them. He puts them in the garden and all this stuff. And so it's this transition, transition, and really it's a great balance of God as all-powerful, but God is fatherly as well. So chapters 1 and chapter 2, people will say, oh, there's two different creation accounts. Well, as I talked about in that Genesis Bible study, it's one creation account, but there's an emphasis going on here balancing out who God is. That's the, that's the first creation in Genesis. Well, something similar is happening here with Exodus. Because the main takeaway here is that God is bringing about a new creation, not of the world, but a new creation of his people. And that's what he has been building ever since he called Abraham, right? So in chapters 1 and 2 of Exodus, God's name is Elohim, right? His power governs and guides history, right? He, uh, is, is in, he is in control of all things. But then in chapter 3 now, as we're going to see, he reveals himself now as Yahweh, Right? There's that same transition from the all-powerful God to the personal God. This is the Yahweh who reveals himself to Moses and all the people there at Mount Sinai later on in the story. And it's, it's teaching us exactly what I said. God now is bringing about a new creation for his people. And you're going to see the same balance of his majesty and his power, but also his closeness, closeness and his intimacy. Right. So I, I just think that that's a really wonderful bridge, another bridge really back to Genesis uh, with creation imagery here, now creation of his people. All righty. So I uh, hope you got that now with, with this kind of in mind. Let's read chapter three, verses one through six. Yeah. Well, chapter three, verses one through six, and then we'll, we'll unpack it here. Okay. So, verse 1, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not come near, put off your shoes from your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. All right, we'll stop right there here and unpack this. So God reveals himself. This is called a theophany. Uh, it's a revelation, a manifestation, an appearance of God. And there are different theophanies of God in Scripture. But this is by far the greatest one, at least in the Old Testament. Obviously, Jesus 
is the perfect revelation manifestation of God in the New Testament. But in the old, this is the most significant. And now Abraham, sorry, excuse me, Moses is 80 years old when God calls him. He spent 40 years in exile. Remember that Moses' life is divided into three sections of 40 years, 40 years in Egypt growing up, 40 years in exile, and he's going to have 40 years guiding his people. So he's 80 years old when God comes to him. By the way, remember, Abraham was 75. So don't get comfortable. No matter how old you are, don't get comfortable because God might call you to do something, small or large. It doesn't matter how old you are. God can use you as an instrument. So he's 80 years old now, and God appears to him, and he's he's shepherding his father-in-law's flock, as we saw at the end of the last lesson. To be a shepherd is a good thing. That's really good imagery in the Bible. Uh, It's very humbling. You know, Moses grew up as a prince of the land, growing up in Pharaoh's household. Now he's very humbled. Uh, It's very kind of a difficult job to do. You're exposed to the elements. As a shepherd, you're supposed to fight off predators, protecting your flock. And so for that reason, uh, shepherds are kind of, I think, beloved by God. You know, David was a shepherd. Uh, Jesus says, I am the true shepherd. You got various prophets who are shepherds. It's a good thing because you're supposed to be a leader. You're supposed to protect your dear, sweet, innocent, stupid little lambs, okay? Uh, And so, um, as as, by the way, bishops are also called shepherds. They're supposed to shepherd their flock, and woe to them if they do not shepherd their flock. Uh, That's very bad. That's a huge theme in Scripture. I don't want to get on a tangent here. Um, But God likes shepherds. He calls shepherds, and Moses now is learning a lot in the wilderness. And by the way, to be in the wilderness is a good thing. To be in the wilderness is a, a place of encounter with God. God calls Moses to the wilderness, he calls his people into the wilderness. Uh, there's The wilderness theme happens a lot in the Old Testament, leading, of course, up to Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. The wilderness is a place of encounter with God because in the wilderness, in the desert, you're stripped of everything, right? You're exposed to the elements. You're hungry. You're thirsty. You don't have the distractions of the city all right, or a family or whatever it might be tearing at you. It really is a place where you can kind of get back into yourself and hopefully encounter God. That's really what Lent is, by the way. Lent is supposed to be like Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness where we encounter God, right? Uh, One more little positive thing going on here. Uh, It says that Moses went to the west side of the wilderness here in verse uh, 1. He is on the west side of the wilderness. That is good geographically. Over and over again in Genesis, I showed in that Bible study how to go east is to go away from God right? Uh, This happens after the fall of Adam and Eve. They go east of Eden. Uh, Cain goes east. Uh, Over and over again, there's these examples. Now, God called Abraham to come west because he's coming back to the land. He's coming back to relationship with God. Here to Moses goes west of the wilderness, and this is where God uh, meets him, all right? So lots happening here. Now, what about this mountain, Mount Horeb? It is also known as Mount Sinai. It has two different names going on here, and there's a couple of reasons why that might be. Uh, Number one, maybe the name Horeb is the Midianite name for the mountain. Remember, he is hanging out with the Midianites these past 40 years, so maybe he's calling it Horeb, and then later on, the Israelites call it Sinai. That may be true that you, you do find that in some commentators and, and uh, different books there. But I think what I really like is the fact that the Hebrew word for bush is sene. It could be bush. It could be a small tree of sorts. We don't exactly know. There's debate. But sene sounds incredibly similar and is incredibly similar to the word Sinai. So you can only hear it. When I say the words, you can hear it, right? Sinai, Sinai, Sinai. Um, that's interesting here. And I think that's what's going on because... You know, God calls Moses from this bush, it's burned, but it's not consumed. God is revealing himself 
to Moses here in the sacred space of this of this bush. Uh, and it, it's burning, it's not being consumed. In the same way, God is going to call Israel to come to the same location here, and he's going to reveal himself, a theophany uh, uh, on Mount Sinai in this burning mountain, right? Mount Sinai, as we're going to see later on, is on fire. There's fire and earthquakes, and it's just this crazy manifestation of God. So I think what's going on here is that Sene, the bush or the tree, is a representation of the revelation that's going to happen at the on the whole mountain, Sinai, all right, so the mountain and the bush are both things that burn, and they're both places of encounter with God. So I think that's what's going on here because God reveals himself to Moses in order to reveal himself to the people, all righty? So that's why I think, you know, there's two different names here. Oh, and by the way, once they arrive at Mount Sinai, it's no longer called Mount Horeb, to the, to the best of my knowledge there. It's so Mount Horeb, and then it becomes Sinai when the people arrive, echoing the burning Sinai, the burning bush. All right, I think you got the point. So, you know, when God reveals himself with this fire here, fire is often a manifestation of God in the scriptures. You have the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that we're going to read about here really, really soon in a number of lectures. Uh, you've got the tongues of fire in Pentecost. you got other scenarios, too, where God reveals himself to Abraham in the smoking fire pot in Genesis chapter 15. So fire is often this manifestation of God because, you know, fire is incredible. It's like water, right? Water can kill and give life. Fire, too, can kill, but it can give life and heat and warmth and light. It's Fire is very purifying as well. There's an image in the New Testament over and over again how, you know, our trials and our sufferings purify our faith like fire purifies precious stones and gold and metals. So fire is is a very powerful thing, and fire can consume. It's very scary. Like fire and water, and these things are scary. So God reveals himself as fire here on Mount uh, Sinai or Mount Horeb. And it's a very holy place. In fact, as we just read, God says, remove your sandals for this is holy ground. Now, this is the first time the word holy, it's in Hebrew, it's kadosh. It's in your notes here, kadosh. The word holy is used since the Sabbath day. Since the Sabbath day, the word kadosh, holy, has never been used. And that is another powerful echo to Genesis here because the Sabbath day, the seventh day, is meant to be this holy, sacred rest, this worship that mankind has of God, to be in God's presence and to be God's children and to, to serve him. And remember, Adam must avod God. That's a big deal. We're going to see that word avod come up over and over again. Adam must avod God on the Sabbath day and serve God, worship God, be with God. Well, now here the word holy is used again with this burning this burning uh, bush, but also that echoes the burning mountain here because the whole point is that God calls Moses. Why? In order for the people to have this communion with God again. And we'll see later on how the Sabbath day, the observance of the Sabbath day is part and partial to this relationship that God establishes with his people here. The whole goal is for humanity, start in this case right here, the Israelites first, to be reconciled with God, to be able to spend that sacred time with him. Okay, so it's, it's, it's holy. Uh, it's a holy, you could say the Sabbath day is holy time, and then this mountain here is holy space, okay? So really this, um, oh, there's a lot to say. Okay, first we'll say that it's, it's holy ground, and therefore that's why Moses had to take off his sandals, Okay, now a lot of people will say, well, why do you have to take off the sandals? Is it just respect, like you don't go into someone's house with dirty shoes, you take them off? Yes, but not really, okay? I think it has to do with the fact that sandals were made from dead animals, right? They're leather. That leather came from a slaughtered animal. 
And the, the point here is that death has no presence. It has no place. It has no, um, it can't be in God's presence in any way, shape, or form because God is life. God is life, and therefore death cannot be in God's presence. We'll talk a lot about this when we go on to discuss the uh, the Bible study in the book of Leviticus here. It's a huge, huge theme. God is life. God is holiness. God is goodness. Therefore, sin and death have no place in God's presence, and that's why he must remove his sandals, okay? Not just because they're dirty, but because God is holy and God is life, all right? So this whole mountain, the mountain is holy, this place is holy. That's really, really important to keep in mind because Mount Sinai, therefore, is kind of a new Sabbath, as we just discussed here, right? It is a new Sabbath. It's a new opportunity and an occasion for God to be with his people, but it is also a new temple, or rather it should say it is a temple foreshadowing uh, the tabernacle and the temple that is going to be built, all right, because again, it's a place of communion with God. That's what the tabernacle is going to be built for, as I'm going to teach you later on. The tabernacle and later on the temple of Solomon, it's built because it is a place of encounter with God. And that's exactly what's happening with Moses. And that's exactly what's going to happen with the people of Israel. It's a place of encounter. So Mount Sinai here is a gigantic temple, right? It's a whole temple where people can encounter God. What that means, therefore, is that there's a little parallel Mount Sinai is to the wilderness what Jerusalem is to the promised land, all right? Jerusalem and the temple of Jerusalem is the center of the whole land, sacred space. The temple is the center of it. It's in the same way Sinai is the center of all the wilderness uh, dwellings, wilderness wanderings, I should say, all right? It's a very significant place. And there's some typology to this as well because we said, you know, the sandals are made from dead animals, therefore they have no place in the presence of God. Death has no place in the presence of God, neither does sin. And so your commentary says, Christian writers, and the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible says, the Christian writers have seen this gesture of taking off the sandals as being an act of humility and detachment in the face of the presence of God. And there's a quote here from the church fathers, no one can gain access to God or see him unless first he has shed every earthly attachment. End quote. That's a beautiful application here, a moral application. In order for us to be in the presence of God, we must take off that which is sinful and that, that which is related to death in our lives. Get, get away from the, virtue, the vices. You know, excuse me. You want the virtue, you don't want the vices. Right? Get rid of the vice, get rid of the sin, get rid of death, and then you can be in the presence of God. So it's really beautiful symbolism going on here. Uh, what happens and how it applies to our lives and how we approach God. Because again, even though, even though we're in the, the new covenantal period here with Jesus Christ and the church, the same is true. God is holy, holy, holy. God is life. And so the lessons that we learn from the law of Moses teach us deeper spiritual truths. We can't be in God's presence if we're sinful. Okay.